Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I'm Jennifer, and this is episode 136. Update. Again, same old, same old. (laughs) All good. I did have one new thing happen to me this week. I fell down the stairs, which (laughs) I know (laughs) sounds dramatic. I'm fine. It was only a few stairs, (laughs) but still, it's something new and dramatic. So I've probably told you guys this before, and if I haven't, I'll tell you now. One of the things that I have to do, especially because I have so much hair and I have two cats, is I have to vacuum often. And that means upstairs and downstairs. And I do downstairs a few times a week, you know, fairly regularly. Upstairs, once a week. But the thing that I put off because I hate doing it, is vacuuming the stairs. And they are carpeted. I wish they weren't, because then I would just sweep them. And I think I would probably do that more often. I hate vacuuming the stairs. I have a great vacuum, but it's an upright, and it's heavy. And it does have an attachment, but the hose on it is short. And it's just a difficult job. It's, you know, the the carpet that's on there is like an older carpet. So it's not just a matter of, you know, quickly running the attachment over. I kind of have to like almost scrub the hair off of each step and then, you know, move that heavy vacuum down the stairs with me. So because I hate it, I put it off. I do it maybe every two or three weeks. This is far too long because now I've taken a job that I hate and made it much bigger because instead of having one week of hair accumulated on the stairs, now I've got two or three weeks of hair. And so the job is much harder. So the other day, it had been a few weeks since I had vacuumed the stairs and I was upstairs vacuuming the bedroom and I thought, all right, I can't put this off anymore. I've got, I've got to vacuum these stairs. So I'm, I'm lucky because I have, I happen to have an outlet at the top of the stair and one at the bottom of the stairs. So in that way, at least that makes the job a little bit easier. So I'm vacuuming, start at the top and moving my way down. And as you know, I'm afraid of everything. And one of the things I'm afraid of is falling down the stairs, especially while I'm doing this thing where I'm exerting myself, I'm sweating, and I'm hating the entire process. So I'm going down the stairs one at a time, scrubbing it with the attachment, you know, moving down to the next stair. I get almost done. I'm maybe three steps up. And I go to move down to the next step. And I don't know why, but in my mind, as I went to grab the vacuum and move it down to the next step, I had this feeling that the vacuum was like falling towards me. It wasn't. My hand was on it. I don't know where the feeling came from. I don't know if it was because I was sweating so much. Maybe I was a little dizzy, but I had that feeling that the vacuum was going to sort of fall on me. And I instinctually reacted by sort of swaying back and I fell down those stairs. 
Now, it wasn't bad. <laughs> it was almost like um, going to sit down, you know, during musical chairs and maybe somebody moves that chair out from under you. So I didn't fall very far. I did land square on my ample ass. So that probably helped too. Lots of padding. So, but I, and miracle of miracles, I don't know how, because my hand was on the vacuum. It didn't land on me. It landed next to me. So I'm a little sore today, <laughs> but thank God I'm not uh, more injured or wasn't more injured in the fall or that it didn't happen on a higher stair or, you know, so many things could have gone wrong there. So if it was going to happen, it happened in like the best possible way. And and even today, like I checked, I don't even have a bruise. I'm just a little sore. But I was talking to sister number one last night and I was telling her what happened. And she said that I need to buy a, you know, a handheld corded vacuum, not cordless, corded because they're more powerful and just use it only to vacuum the stairs. And at first when she said it, I was a little resistant because I don't usually like to buy things that are like single use, you know, like you could only use it for this one specific thing. But then she said something that made me reconsider. She said, they're not very expensive and it's worth a few dollars for your peace of mind. So you don't have to be so scared about vacuuming, you know, using that one that I have now, which is just like a monster. And so she convinced me and I ordered the vacuum. I got, you know, like a good vacuum from Amazon, 25 bucks. It'll be here in a few days. I'll let you know how it works. But therein lies the lesson taught to us by sister number one, which is we often worry about spending money on frivolous things. We tell ourselves that we don't really need it, but we don't really factor in all the ways in which it will help you. Will it save you time, worry, fear? You know, it, it, in my case, it will make me feel safer. You know, it's kind of like when I order takeout. You know, some nights I just don't feel like cooking, so I'll go on my Grubhub app and order a pizza. Cost me 20 bucks. But I'll eat that pizza for four days. So for me, it's well worth the cost and the time that it saves me. You know, so that's the lesson. Like I said, taught to us by sister number one. When I wasn't facing death on my stairs, I read a really good book this week. After I finished Elsewhere, which was good, you know, but although it, it's it's Dean Koontz. And, and to me, even if it was bad, it's still good. You know, was it one of my favorites? No, but it was still good. But the book I read was called The Puzzle Master. It's by Danielle Trussoni. And this was another one of those books that I saw an ad for it on Instagram. It was described as a cross between The Da Vinci Code, The Silent Patient, with a sprinkle of Stephen King. Now, I had a moment of hesitation because I am not a Stephen King fan, but I do remember when I read The Da Vinci Code, I really liked it, so I bought it, and I really liked it. 
The concept is a, it's a little bit heavy. It's about something called the God puzzle. But Trisoni does a really good job of, you know, sort of dumbing it down. And, and she does it in a way that somehow made me feel smart for, you know, just being able to follow along. But here's a secret that I will admit to only you. Many years ago, I read an article about how reading to yourself out loud not only helps you understand what you're reading, it also has positive long-term effects on your memory and your brain health in general. So when I was reading this book and I got to the parts that were particularly weighty or, you know, like big scientific concepts that might have been, you know, beyond me, I would just read those passages out loud. And it helped. I not only understood what I was reading, but I retained it. Even though it's not a totally comfortable thing to do, (laughs) reading to yourself out loud, it does work. And just like with everything else, the more you do it, the more comfortable you will get. But this book, the, the, The Puzzle Master, it has a lot of twists and turns and you don't really know what's happening or why it's happening until almost the end. And the story is interesting enough that you won't give up on it. You'll want to know what is happening and why. TV podcast recommendations. I haven't been watching a whole lot of TV because I've been mostly reading in my free time. I did watch the newest season of Queer Eye, and I've talked to you guys about that show before. I love that show. I always have a a favorite episode. This season, it was the episode with Mary. I I loved it, though. I loved the entire season. I love those guys (laughs) very much. But I also have a new podcast recommendation. I got a text from my aunt the other day, and she was telling me about a podcast that she thought I would like, and she was right. It's called The Moth Radio Hour. It's segments of people telling their stories, and each episode has a theme, like fathers, mothers, family connections. That one, I think it's called The Ties That Bind. That one is filled with so many great stories, like one had me crying, one had me laughing, one had me laughing through tears. I've listened to maybe four or five episodes so far. It's really good. I like it. Uh, The segments are recorded from the uh, Moth live events, and they're put together in podcast form. So it very much feels like, um, almost like open mic at the improv, you know, like there, there is a stylized aspect to it. So it's not just like random people calling in and telling their story. Although sometimes that's in there too. It's really good. I liked it a lot. The stories are funny and sad and relatable without being too heavy. Well, at least not the ones I've listened to so far. This isn't a new podcast. So there are tons of episodes to choose from. Most episodes are under an hour. Some are even under 30 minutes. And one of the reasons I really like this is because you don't have to listen to them in order. You know, you can kind of look and read what what each episode is about. And if it's something you're interested, just click on it and listen to. It's really good. 
All right, now that you're all caught up on my week, let's get into this week's topic. We're back. So I was on Twitter the other day and I saw a video that someone posted. Now, this isn't someone I follow, but you know how Twitter does that thing where it just randomly throws in people it thinks you might be interested in? It was wrong, by the way. But the video was a TikTok and it was made by a woman who looked to be about my age. She was sitting in her car and she was talking about her frustration with dating at her age. The only reason I watched the video is because the person who posted it, again, not someone I follow, but Twitter suggested, he added this caption above the video, quote, she wonders why she and millions of women are alone. I have a hunch. What do you think? Oh, did I mention the person who posted the video was a man? Did I need to mention that or did you already know? So the woman in the video, like I said, attractive and about my age. She said being over 50 and single and trying to find a companion is like trying to find a needle in a haystack. She says she can't understand why it is so difficult. She admits that she doesn't want to be alone or seen as lonely by her kids and friends. Then at the end, she asks, If anyone can tell her why a single woman in her 50s is having such a hard time finding a companion. Well, people told her, all right. So many came forward with their, you know, helpful tips. Immediately, people started picking her apart. Men and women went right after her appearance, saying she's, quote, too tan. Or her voice sounds like she smokes two packs a day. One man said, and I quote, men age like fine wine and women age like milk, accompanied by a picture of Tom Cruise and Kelly McGinnis from their Top Gun days, alongside of pictures of them today. Another man said that women have become too much, quote, making them into millstones instead of helpmates. I think that was supposed to be helpmates. This felt like a biblical phrase, so I looked it up because I also didn't know what millstones were. So the biblical quote says something like a millstone around your neck, with the definition of millstone in this context being a heavy and inescapable burden or responsibility. That same tweeter also added, quote, they, meaning women, are a too much of a bother. Some men commented that feminism is to blame because it taught women to focus more on themselves. God forbid. And just so you're not thinking it was only men who criticized her, I saw many hateful tweets also from women. One woman started her comment by saying she thought the TikToker was, quote, a dude. And then, just in case that wasn't hateful enough, added that women in their 50s are too needy. Another woman just had one word in her tweet. Cringe. But then I started to notice the other people who responded. 
the not-so-hateful responses. So many attractive middle-aged women all saying the same thing. They're single and dating, but can't seem to make a connection with anyone their age. People, I have been saying exactly this for, what, three years now? I have to admit, I did take comfort in knowing I'm not alone. I was really starting to wonder if I had something wrong with me that was so glaringly obvious to any man who dated me, but I was completely oblivious to. I have my theories, just based on my own experience, on why dating after 50 is so difficult, but I wanted to know what the experts were saying. I found a lot of articles on the do's and don'ts of dating in middle age. I wasn't interested in those. I know how to date. I've done a lot of it. I wanted to know how to make it easier, how to make that connection. I found an article on the Huffing Huffington Post. Uh, it was from, I think, 2015, and it's called The Real Reason It's So Hard to Date After 50. It was written by a dating coach named Lisa Copeland. In the article, Copeland says that of her clients over 50, she believes the reason why they are finding it difficult to date is because they are treating dating as a job, an activity we have to endure instead of one we enjoy. And this one really hit me. Copeland said, we treat dates like job interviews. Uh, how many times have I said that? Adding, quote, we look the person up and down, and in less than 10 minutes, the time it takes to drink a cup of coffee, we decide whether or not this person is our next spouse or committed partner. That's exactly what I do. Copeland said that the main reason why people, both men and women, are finding it difficult to date is because they are, quote, dating to mate and not dating to date. Oh, my God. Another revelation. I do this, too. Honestly, I think I've told you this before, but probably more than once, you know, I, I'm out on a date and I don't feel a connection, meaning a connection in terms of potential, you know, past the first date, past the first few months when everything is always perfect. So I make no arrangements for a second date because in my mind, if I don't see that long-term potential, I'm just wasting my time and his. I mean, I think we all remember the guy who I didn't make a second date with because he drove the same car as me. There were other things too, but that was a big one. And in my mind, a deal breaker. The article went on to say that the only thing you can know right away about a person is whether or not you're attracted to them. Then said, that can change over time too, especially with women. Copeland said, when you so quickly dismiss someone as mate material, you may be missing out on a lot of quality people. And of course, that sent me into a tailspin of... How many men I've dated who maybe, if I had just given them a little bit more of a chance, could have turned into something more meaningful down the road? Then there was the other reason why dating becomes more difficult as we age. We get set in our ways. Copeland says we often set our standards too high. Most people, by the time they reach middle age, are fairly well established in their jobs. If they have kids, they're likely grown. 
you know, we live independently. We get settled into our lifestyle. So when we're looking for a mate, we have a particular set of standards or rules that we expect that person to meet. Again, you guys know, this is me. How many times have I talked about my list of expectations when it comes to a mate? I'm old and set in my ways. Also, living independently for years, and I'm kind of on the fence when it comes to completely sharing my daily existence with someone. Like, take just the other day, for example. I had one of those necessary solitary days. I got up early, like I always do, had my coffee while scrolling through news headlines, followed by a nice long walk. When I got home, I cleaned my apartment, took my shower, put on an old comfy t-shirt and a pair of shorts, and I spent the rest of the day on the couch reading. When I got hungry, I ate leftover pizza for lunch, turkey jerky and cheese for dinner. It was a great day. Well, other than when I fell, but even that wasn't bad. It could have been much worse. I got to spend the entire day exactly how I wanted to spend it. I told myself that this is not the kind of day I could have if I was in a relationship. Or is it? I think the main thing that is holding me back is fear. I'm terrified that I'm going to end up in the same kind of relationships I've always had. The kind where I lose myself completely in them and their needs. So I swing my pendulum to the opposite side, declare my independence, and refuse to give an inch. Wow, I mean, it really is a mystery why I'm still single, isn't it? Which takes me back to the articles on the do's and don'ts of dating and my reaction to them, which was basically, don't tell me what to do, which is pretty much my reaction to everything. But there is another obstacle I found in this dating after 50 issue. I'm having a hard time finding men my age who are interested in women my age. When I'm on the dating apps, I'm most often approached by men either significantly significantly older than me or significantly younger, but very few who are actually close to my age. And I always have the same reaction. I dismiss the younger ones because I figure they're not really interested in anything long term. And I dismiss the older ones because I assume they won't have any interest in doing all the things I want to do. You know, they, they won't be able to keep up with me. Because even though I'm 52, in my head, I still feel like I'm in my 30s. Well, okay, 40s, or early 40s. So if he's in his mid to late 60s, and I feel like I'm in my 40s, that doesn't seem compatible to me. But what if he is in his 60s and suffers from the same delusions I have and feels like he's in his 50s? I don't know. I never give it a chance to get that far. So basically, what I'm saying is, I'm the problem. Something I've long suspected but didn't want to accept. And I'll refrain from making the standard Taylor Swift reference here, but now that song is in your head, so you're welcome. 
But as they say, acceptance is the first step to healing, or in my case, changing. So, with that in mind, I reluctantly went back to those do's and don'ts of dating articles that I had so quickly dismissed in the beginning of my research. Many of them said things we all already know. Things like, do be open to new things, and don't assume baggage is a red flag. Because if you're fortunate enough to reach middle age, you're going to have baggage. The reality is dating in your 50s is more difficult because the dating pool is much smaller. So I see a lot of areas for improvement, things I can change and things I can let go of. But I'm still not sure I want to go back on the apps, at least not right now. And therein lies the issue. I'm stuck between wanting to date and not feeling it's the right time to date. Just last week, I talked to you about worrying that being single for too long might make me seem less desirable to potential mates. You know, like produce that keeps getting passed over until it finally gets thrown onto the compost heap. I found an article on today.com that had rules for dating over 50. And honestly, I found a lot of them to be just straight up bullshit. Like, don't call him if he doesn't call you. What? Why not? If you had what you thought was a good first date and you don't hear from him after, why wouldn't you reach out if only for clarification? Maybe he didn't feel the same connection you did. Or maybe he did, and he's unsure about how you feel, and he's waiting to see if you'll make the next move. Either way, isn't it better to know than to sit around wondering? The other rule was not to have sex too soon. Is this the 1950s? And how soon is too soon? And who decides? You are two grown, consensual adults. You decide when it's time to take the relationship to that level. This is another reason why dating in your 50s is so difficult. There is so much conflicting advice. I found another article titled, Why Bother Dating After 50? And with a title like that, of course, I had to click on it. Well, that was total clickbait because what the article was actually about was all the reasons you should date after 50 with a bunch of links to different dating websites. I think, at least for me, it all comes down to one thing. Just be willing. And although I'm not ready to get back on the dating apps just yet, I think when I do, I'll be better prepared to make more choices and take more chances. And I'm cautiously optimistic about it. All right, I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 136. Don't forget, join the Facebook group, my so-called midlife podcast, and like the Facebook page, my so-called midlife podcast. Follow me on Instagram at, you guessed it, my so-called midlife podcast. If you like the podcast, tell your friends and then tell them to listen. The second part is the important part. Just as a total aside, and because it made me laugh, sister number one, when I was talking to her the other day, told me that she followed exactly what I asked you to do and told her friend about my podcast. (laughs) Only she called it my so-called midlife crisis. (laughs)
<laughs> which I guess actually is probably a more appropriate title, but too late now. If you have questions, if you have topic suggestions, email me at my so-called midlifepodcast at gmail.com. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Until next time, love you. Bye.